0: Hi there, my name is Mary Kilolea. Welcome to the To Be Boulder podcast, providing career insights for the next generation of women in business and tech. To Be Boulder was created out of my love for technology and marketing, my desire to bring together like-minded women, and my hope to be a great role model and source of inspiration for my two girls and other young women like you. Encouraging you guys to show up and to be bolder and to know that anything you guys dream of, it's totally possible. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Hi there. Today on this show, my guest is Margaret Immick. She is one of the founders of Directory Spot, which is an application-based business that provides online and mobile directory solutions for schools, HOAs, churches, companies, and any type of organization that needs a secure directory. Margaret and I actually went to high school years ago and just recently reconnected, and that's where I learned about what she's been up to and was so intrigued about Margaret's story and wanted to share it. Margaret, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me and for actually doing these podcasts. I actually, I listened to a few of them and
1: they're very insightful. They're entertaining, funny, and really relevant. I think, um, you know, I wish they were around when I was 20 or 21. But anyway, I love listening to all the stories. So hopefully I have one to tell as well.
0: Thank you very much. Um, Okay. So before we dive into your story, how you started up Directory Spot, I would love to back up and hear about your various roles working for IBM, Chevron, and the other enterprise companies. And tell us part of, you know, your journey and how it came about.
1: Okay. So we're old now (laughs) since we went to (laughs) high school together. Um, But I, uh, after going to school in Santa Clara, which was in Silicon Valley, you know, in the late eighties, I ended up starting my career at Chevron Corporation in downtown San Francisco. They had this finance and development program where you got to rotate around. And really I took the job because I wanted to live in San Francisco. (laughs) <laughs> that was sort of the, the dream part of it. But it was a great assignment as well. And then um, a couple months into the assignment, the earthquake happened. Oh, gosh. And so I ended up living out in the East Bay for months of that. But um, you know, it added a little bit of a story to the start. But so then after that program, I took an assignment in the corporate headquarters in a finance group and you know, was doing finance and accounting. And um, a project came to that part of the organization and it was a new software called SAP. Mm -hmm. And this is like back in 1993 and Chevron was going to be one of the first implementers in the U S of R3, which was their new product at the time. I actually loved the job. I loved the project work and I loved working with consultants who at the time were from Anderson consulting. And, um, at that time it was a hot skill. And I mean, and funny enough, you know, 32 years later, it's still a relevant software package, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. But um, I got the opportunity to make the move to consulting without having an MBA or really anything. And um, just because I had the skill, I ended up going to Pricewaterhouse, which was a big consulting firm at the time in San Francisco. And um, my first, they put me right out on a job, You know, no training, nothing. It wasn't like when you started out of college, when you got to be a coder and you went to all this training. They just threw me onto the job because I had experience. And uh, my first assignment was funny enough. In applied materials, which is in Silicon Valley, it's a semiconductor manufacturing equipment manufacturer. And um, I had done an internship there between my junior year and senior year in college. And so I knew a lot of the people, mm. which, was, which was kind of funny. But anyway, it helped, mm-hmm. um, kind of helped my transition into there. And, um, you know, I was like a finance team leader. And then we moved through the project, and I got to be the system test manager. And I had never coded anything. And I still never have coded anything, but I was good at creating project schedules, I guess, and coordinating tasks and talking to people and being friendly and tracking progress and, you know, reporting to the stakeholders at the time. So it was kind of like a nice little opportunity to get a little leadership experience right in the beginning. But then a few months after their second rollout, the project manager left. And so I was asked to take over the project. And that was just sort of right, right time, right place, right time. Uh, There were probably 20 people on that project, and it ended up going well. And so then we were awarded the uh, European implementation. Oh, wow. So I got a chance to then take over the whole European role from the consulting side. So there's always a client side project manager, and then there's a consulting side. But we took a team, and we assembled consultants from the U.S., and then several locations in Europe, and we set up shop in Amsterdam, and we ran a project there for a year and a half. And really, um, you know, that's just a great opportunity to learn people from different cultures, learn how business works over there, very different from the U S, um, and live over there. So it was, it was great, but, um, that gave me, that was their kind of final rollout at the time. But then all of a sudden I had this track record, you know, of these rapid implementations. And, um, I was able then to move to a next project, which was another semiconductor firm, um, called Hyundai. And it was, um, in Silicon Valley. So I did that for a year and a half or two years, maybe. And then um, got to lead a big project at Micron in Boise. So again, it was another year and a half of full scale um, SAP implementations, and they kind of just got bigger and faster and better. And I was always in the semiconductor or equipment manufacturing space. So I got a little name for myself. Just, just because we had all that business, I guess. But um, it was a time I think when consulting <laughs> firms were booming in the late '90s. But it was really challenging to keep women past the manager level, as travel demands on the job they did not align with trying to have a family. I mean, even just working in Silicon Valley at that time, you know, you worked from six in the morning till nine at night mm-hmm. every day, and then I would commute back to San Francisco, and that was just the that was the mentality of the client, and it was. For sure, the mentality of the consulting firm. So it was, um, it was a lot, but it was fun. You know, people were fun. You worked with smart people, but there was this problem with keeping women, mm-hmm. and so there were there were barely any women partners in in technology in the in the high tech practice. I don't think there were any at the time in the Bay Area, and I remember um, my part. I had a part so you know, talk about mentoring here. I had a, I had a partner who I took me under his wing from the very first days that applied materials. And I worked for him at all the projects. He kind of took me along and we would win projects. I would lead them and we would keep doing them and they were successful, but he came, he flew out to Boise. This is in, um, I don't know, late 1999. And he came out to meet with me and he said, um, This is really a slim thing, but I'm going to push you through. We're getting ready to put people up for partner. I'm going to push you through. It's really slim. You're definitely not ready. You're way too young, all this. But he said, you know, this timing might just be right. Uh, They're definitely the time they were struggling to get women into the partnership. I mean, get women past the manager level, let alone get people into partner. So um, they needed a woman on the list. And I think (laughs) I just got lucky. (laughs) So... It worked out. Um, and funny enough, I was also pregnant with my first child at the time, which even, you know, was scary to even admit that to them. But it turned out even better for their story. So not only did they have a token woman, they had one who was pregnant. And at the time, I think I, I was the youngest partner in the US. So that was kind of exciting as well. So then I did have a daughter, which having a baby and being a consulting partner is not really a great mix, but. Um, I came back and I guess, um, to your podcast, I decided I'd need to be bold (laughs) and I felt like because I was the poster child at the time that I would ask for a part-time schedule. And, um, I asked for a 60% schedule and nobody had done that. There were no part-time partners. Mm -hmm. Um, nobody had done it. And I said I would work, um, 60%. So I'd be three days a week on client site. And I was a partner who was always working. I wasn't just, I wasn't a selling partner. I was a, a billable partner. I was usually on a project site um, and I'd be compensated 60%. But of course in consulting, you work like a mm-hmm. hundred, you know, my 60% was a hundred percent, but it, it worked out. It gave me some flexibility. And um, I remember my first assignment as a, as a partner was three um, com and palm. And because a partner had transitioned out, I transitioned in. Mm-hmm. And um, what was kind of interesting is they were doing projects back then. They were developing enterprise applications on palm devices. I, I remember do, the Palm. Do you remember oh, yeah, the Palm? I remember okay. the palm. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's funny to think back on, but, um, I had a Palm pilot at the time and I thought it was really cool. And the whole idea that employees could actually do business transactions on a Palm while moving around a warehouse or wherever they were seemed really cool at the time. So we worked on that for a while and, um, it was fun, you know, and, you know, Palm and 3Com had some ups and downs and some transitions during that time. But, um, It was, it was good experience with a handheld device now that I look into my future. But, um, then my husband actually got an opportunity to do a tour of duty in London for his job. And although I was just a new partner who had just gone back on my part-time schedule, um, I asked for a tour of duty as well. And I didn't, I was bold. I was very (laughs) bold. And, um, you know, again, at the time they needed high tech partners in Europe. So they didn't have any. And we had a, you know, a chunk of them in Silicon Valley who had worked at all these technology companies and they were rolling out to Europe and doing projects there and they didn't have the expertise. So my mentor partner, again, sold me over to Europe, but it was pretty loose. You know, I think he made a couple of phone calls and said, I have this, you know, US part-time, I'm not even sure he told him I was (laughs) part-time. I have this woman, she's coming over, work out a deal for her, her husband's coming too and, you know, she's great. And I got on a plane and went, but not not a lot of transition there. Um, and I can remember, yeah, there weren't many female consulting partners in London and definitely no part-time partners. But I remember going to my first meeting that they were having like a partner meeting and I had no clients. I had no business. I had no nothing, no computer. And um, I walked into the meeting and, you know, the secretaries were all, it's very formal, it was very formal in London. And the secretaries were passing out name tags and they were looking for my name tag and they they said, well we don't have your name to, you know, are you a secretary or are you here as, who are you? <laughs> and I said, well, no, I'm, I'm actually a new partner here. And they just laughed and looked at me and wrote me out a name tag and off I went. So, um, but it was, it was the, uh, you know, the days of three piece suits, smoking in the office, uh, definitely nine to five in that, mm. you know, definitely different than Silicon Valley. But, um, I had to gather some courage and figure out what to do who to talk to, who to ask, and how to get myself some work. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I was just going over there and really I needed to sell some projects and make some consultant friends and get mm-hmm. some work. I think having all this experience working in Silicon Valley gave me a little bit of credibility. And one of the partners said that um, I could go work on Compaq with him and took me along. And we started, um, we started a project there and uh, it worked out. So I got a little traction on Compaq. After Compaq, then uh, I worked on a Philips Electronics project mm-hmm. and I did some supply chain. I kind of transitioned myself um, into supply chain, which was very interesting to me at the time, and um, did work with Philips Electronics in Europe and Asia. And so actually, even with my 60% schedule, I was traveling to Europe most weeks and 9-11 came into play during this too. So that was tricky. And then um, I would even travel to Asia, right. but you know, I'd go out on a Saturday and I'd be back by Thursday morning still kind of have my three, three days, but it was, it was tricky, but it was okay. And I kind of led this double life of, um, three days a week in, you know, Europe and Asia, and then two days a week as mom with little kid in Mm. the park with the other moms trying to make friends. So it was was kind of interesting, but, um, so I was, you know, doing okay with my high tech practice and everything. And then IBM bought PwC. So during the Enron days and Anderson became Accenture mm-hmm. and PwC needed to figure out, Oh, actually when I was in Europe, Pricewaterhouse and PwC merged as well. So that happened, but um, that was fine. But then um, <laughs> IBM, IBM bought PwC, which, which in Europe, IBM consulting was actually very strong. So that was good news. Mm-hmm. However, um, no technology company wanted to hire IBM and pay them big bucks to consult. So the consulting practice was, the high-tech practice was decimated. Mm. So I needed to now, um, I guess, reinvent myself because I needed to do, I needed to still be a consultant and it wasn't going to be in high-tech. So uh, I knew a little oil and gas lingo from my <laughs> previous days. <laughs> and, um, it, yeah, it's just kind of fun. I mean, this is to your point about trying to be bolder, but because, you know, I have Chevron written on my resume from 15 years ago, they assume I've got some expertise. <laughs> but um, I, did, I, I did some work on BP, which we had a lot of work at BP. And um, then uh, that went okay. And I kind of, you know, then became part of the oil and gas practice, still doing SAP though in supply chain. But um, an opportunity came, and I'm almost done with my story here, but an opportunity <laughs> came about to um, get in at Shell. And Shell is, you know, headquartered in the UK, and they were going to do a global downstream SAP project. And this was big. I mean, they'd already implemented SAP several times, so this is, and they'd done it in different pockets all over the world in downstream. And they were now going to put it under one big umbrella and basically redo the whole thing. So it was um, a large project for them, and would be a large consulting project. But um, our competitor was well entrenched and very good friends with the CIO and had been working there for years. But um, So the partners I worked with, the UK partners in the three-piece suits, um, asked (laughs) if I would go, me, who was, I think I had just had a second child too. So I was transitioning back to work and, um, I mean, honestly, just transitioning into even work, getting work clothes and getting to work. Right. But they asked me if I would, I wasn't even really back to work yet, if I would go meet with him. He was American and try to get us in there because they had been failing. I think they'd been cold. I don't know what they were doing, but they, I think I was last ditch effort. (laughs) And so, I mean, this is crazy, but I remember that I, you know, put on some semblance of professional attire and went and met him. He wanted to meet at a bar in like, kind of like near where Shell Center was, you know, it was like four o'clock in the afternoon. And I had been on the playground because it was one of my off days, (laughs) but I'd been on the playground before and I walk in and we probably have a half hour conversation. And at the end of it, and it was, you know, it was all fine. I mean, I was kind of awkward for me, but, um, it was, it ended up, he said, I said, could we just, you know, could we do a strategy piece? Do you have something you need done when you're looking at this whole new project? We will come in. I will bring a couple partners, only senior people, and we'll do this work for free, you know, three or four weeks. And, um, then we'll go from there. And so we did it. And um, of course, then when he gave us the in, um, I got some really good people to help and we were in there for a few weeks and then we, we were able to pitch for the big job and it really was just between us and the other one and we won it. So that kind of became this, um, you know, maybe my career highlight, I guess, Mm -hmm. right there. And we embarked on this, um, you know, multi-year world or global implementation for Shell so that was, that was actually going well. And I felt I felt like, and, and consulting is a little, as a partner is a little bit of a sales job. Mm-hmm. You know, you always need to, you need to have your billable hours. You need to have your, your projects going. And you're always a little nervous if one's coming to the end where you're going to get the next. Right. And, um, this was, this was my ticket for years. So, um, but then my husband got a dream job offer to go to move to Chicago ah. and, um, we ended up moving back here. So, but because Shell is a, was a global company, I was going to stay working on Shell,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I did, and I did for a couple years. A couple of years after that, but um, really, they wanted me. I needed to be traveling my full three days
0: mm-hmm.
1: away from home. And um, you know, I'd lived in London, I'd lived in San Francisco, and then now I moved to um, suburban Chicago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, there were no nannies at the bus stop. <laughs> I mean, there are no nannies yeah. walking to school. So. I just decided um, maybe it was time to take a break, and of course, through all of this, I had lots of challenges of you know work-life balance. That was oh. uh, that was a daily you know hour. Even though I was working a sixty percent schedule, it still was never
0: enough on on any of the fronts. But um, that anyway, that's incredible. <laughs> well, I mean, it, <laughs> that, that's an incredible story, and and you're right. I can't even hearing you um, with the complexity of it and with the you know. I think the the pressure of feeling like you have to run at warp speed mm-hmm. in order to compete and maintain and defend your territory and justification for being there, yeah, oh, that yeah. you would be so exhausted <laughs> and then you turn around and you have to come home and then you have to do all the other home stuff that's so exhausting. Right. So, yes. Yes. Um, I was lucky that I had a really
1: good nanny in London who worked my three days a week and she ended up actually moving here to Chicago with us for a little bit after wow. to make that transition which was great so that yeah i mean that was definitely helpful um but you know she worked the 3 days and then then i was on but anyway it was a i don't think i would have done it a different i, I couldn't have done it a different way mm-hmm. because you're still you know yeah <laughs> anyway um so so we moved here and i just decided that um it was time to take a break if and and actually consulting is such a um at least for me, a job that was so demanding, but yet so exciting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You, you really can't walk away. I mean, you can't get out. Even if you want out, you can't get out. <laughs> so, you know, me being um, living in the Midwest and, you know, this travel to Houston, it was, it was a good time to take a break. And um, I, I really thought I would go back. I thought it was just going to be a break for a while, figure things out, adjust to the U.S. You know, I'd never been part of the IBM consulting practice in the U.S., um, and partners had changed, and now I was in the Midwest. so there was there was some sorting out to do. But anyway, the break lasted a few years. And then um, I did lots of volunteer work, you know, tried to be involved in my community here, get to know um, you know where I live and um, be involved in my kids' school. And um, but then I thought, you know, I could do a little more. It'd be nice to make a little money, too. And so I, I did do some work for a software company and I was just doing, um, it was, it was flexible. I could work from home and I was doing some project management stuff that, you know, I had done that I had managed for so many years. Um, you know, I could almost do it in my sleep, right. but it was, you know, it was something. And, um, it was a good, it was a, what I learned from it was that this was a company that developed their own software and, you know, software was always in development and always never really working. Mm-hmm. And I was always having to talk to the customer about, um, you know, what was going wrong and how we were going to fix it. And, I mean, that's, it's very draining. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so then after that I was, um, or during that time, I guess I, and don't laugh, but I was the president or co-president of my elementary school children's PTA, which is, I you love know, it. Like so was blocks, I. Two, okay, good.
0: <laughs> that's, that's good to hear. I didn't start a business out of it. Like you.
1: <laughs> so as, uh, I was doing the president of the PTA, we were trying to do the directory. And, um, I had my phone, it was probably like iPhone two at the time or whatever. And, um, I just thought we were printing, we're trying to get a volunteer to print this directory and it was painful and it was always late and it was always wrong. And it was, there was so much paper that, um, we were trying to be green was in the time we were really trying to be green here in the Midwest. And, um, I just thought there has got to be a better way.
0: So that's where my idea for the business kind of came. That's incredible. Well, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more okay. in depth about your business. Cause I totally want to get there. I have a couple other questions though. So the path that you took clearly technology was at the forefront and, you know, software, have you always loved technology when, even when you were young, <laughs> I mean, has math been like a passion of yours or something or. You know, that's interesting. I, uh, I wouldn't
1: say when I was really young, um, but math came easy to me. So it's, but I never thought it was something I would pursue, but, um, I do think, uh, Maybe going to school in Silicon Valley at the time definitely had an impact on me. I mean, I left home with a typewriter Mm -hmm. and then I learned to use a computer in school. And we had some of those really early Macintoshes in the computer lab. And um, I always thought that was really incredible that we could not type papers and we could go to the computer lab. But um, also, you know, I think just living in the Bay Area for a while and working in all those technology companies in the 90s and early 2000s, you can't help, um, Mm -hmm. you know, next computer, all those things, and even Palm Pilot. Mm-hmm. all those devices were out and um you know looking back you you can reflect on what time that was and how fast technology was moving um but you were in it so you didn't really understand it but it was um i'm sure that that had a big influence on me i mean i remember buying the first palm pilot the first iphone the imac all of that i loved apple products mm-hmm. which was a problem when i started working for ibm but um <laughs> i uh, <laughs> yeah no i yeah so i think if definitely since college i've had a, a love for technology
0: What do you see as like the pros and cons to women pursuing a career in technology? I think there's only pro, I mean, mostly pros. Um, You know, it's, it's really
1: fast paced. And in my perspective on technology is I was mostly working in consulting firms, you know, working, working as a consultant in all the different companies, which, you know, is a, is a great way to see all these different types of technologies going in and out of them. But anyway, you know, I think it's obviously, yeah, fast paced, relevant, really demanding, volatile, you know, you never know. It is, I think I have probably met the most volatile people working at some of those companies in Silicon Valley, not as much in Europe. I think in Europe, people are a little more laid back, but um, in Silicon Valley, you know, people that are, can turn on a dime, Mm. you know, if something goes wrong, one little project metric isn't perfect and the world has come to an end. Right. So, um, but you know, if you can have a stomach for that, then I think it's fantastic. Um, really smart people, I think, work in technology. And so, you know, I guess, depending on the career path you're looking for, um, I think it's a m- mainly pros. But I would say, throughout my career, I worked mostly with men. But I think, honestly, being a woman um, and offering those different perspectives, I mean, even the things that just make women women, like even caring for children or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, empathy for you know my coworkers' wife who's sick right. um, helps me. I mean, I think it helps people. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, if people like you, you do better at your job. So
0: mm-hmm. if you get along with people and they want to work around you, then it makes things easier. Directory spot. Let's take a dive in and tell okay. me about it. And you know, I want to hear it. Okay. So um, so as I was saying, um,
1: the PTA co-president, we were looking for this, you know, a better solution for this directory. And um, I had a friend that I had played tennis with who developed apps on the side. And he just said one day, he said, if you ever have an idea, he was telling me that he does, did this. And um, he said, if you ever have an idea, let me know. And so I thought, you know what, this is my idea. Mm-hmm. Let's take this paper directory. It's not very complicated and let's put this on an iphone but at the time and this is like 2012 you know the idea that um personal data or your child's information would be on an app was very um new and maybe scary mm-hmm. but um so it had to be secured so that was our whole thing that you know you had to be able to log in and only people that are parents of the school could have access but he developed the very first version it was really simple um, I had to send out individual usernames and passwords to every single parent. I emailed them out, mm-hmm. and uh, but the parents loved it, and it worked, and um, they thought it was great. And so then the next year, I got six schools to use it, uh, a couple more here, um, and then a couple from the Bay Area that were just friends, you know, of my friends' parents yeah. that I knew. Um, but they all paid for it. So the kind of interesting thing about this is that I mean, the one I did for my own school, they didn't pay for, but mm. But our first six customers that second year, and it was six different apps on the app store, so you know each school logged in with their own login, okay. mm-hmm. um, which meant that if we had a change, we had to do it six different times. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but they all really liked it, and I think they paid like five to six hundred dollars a year, you know, for it. Maybe even more. I can't remember, but. Um, and, but we ended up winning a technology award for the best use of technology, you know, in, in elementary schools oh, in cool. Illinois. So that was kind of fun. I mean, yeah. I think there was not much competition, but, um, <laughs> you know, what we were doing sounded like a good thing. So, so I went to the PTA conference, which, you know, is an experience. And um, we, I gave, was able to give a presentation, which was a little, you know, just it was interesting to see people's reaction. Other schools, they thought, it, you know, they thought, wow, this is kind of a good idea. And we, we ended up having a little booth. Just for fun to see, and um, the guy that developed it, and another guy did the booth with me, and um, we got tons of interest. So we decided, you know, we I just remember even going out to lunch at the end of that day or dinner or something, and we talked to it and we said, you know what? I think this is something, or we all did. We thought we're like, we think this is something people will will want. Mm-hmm. So which means we need to completely redevelop this thing. Yeah. It can't be one app for every customer. So we need to figure out how to, um, make one app on the app store. And then when you log in, it basically skins for your school or organization. And that's, that's really how it started. So we did it that first year and, um, you know, it was just for schools Mm -hmm. and we went from, you know, the six schools to the next year okay. Well, here, let me step back at that PTA conference. And this is kind of a changing point as well. I ended up meeting, there was a company called, um, volunteer spot, Mm -hmm. which is now called signup.com. And they were like a, maybe a big sponsor of the whole convention. And the C the, the founder of that company was an ex Accenture an Anderson consulting person. And, um, she's from Texas and we just kind of hit it off. Mm -hmm. And she was very interested in our company and, we ended up um and they were much larger at the time i mean well and they still are but um we ended up they ended up ha- buying a stake in our company oh, in nice. exchange for um for marketing so they helped market us in the very beginning because they did a lot of email marketing and that's okay. they had a lot of users mm-hmm. so they helped us get the word out because we were you know yeah. besides our friends and family we didn't really know how to market our little product so they helped us the first couple of years and to this day um she is still a big mentor for us. So she's been like a, you know, I say a big sister, even though we're the same age, but um, she has helped, you know, even, you know, as two weeks ago, I talked to her on the phone about something that's going on. So they have helped us, you know, throughout our entire process. Um, wow, that's wonderful. So that's be. been, that's been great. And maybe that is one of those, I mean, because the guys would never have made that connection with her. And so, right. yeah, I guess it was probably just, we had a conversation and we saw, we talk more and it just turned into something and yeah. So she would probably, if she was on the podcast, say that she mentors us, you know, she's (laughs) mentored us through this, through the whole journey. But anyway, so that's, that's how we started. But we, we grew, you know, from six customers to 40 customers to 140 to 300. And we just, you know, we just keep growing.
0: That's incredible. I love I love how you took a just a real simple problem and made it efficient and then saw that it actually was marketable and then you broke it down and said, "Okay, let's how do we build this from the ground up with the scaling opportunity here." Yeah, right. Yes. So, what part of the aspect is your favorite? So there's marketing, sales, technology, app development, or operations, and I'm sure I'm missing a few, but <laughs>
1: Yeah. And you know, we're, we're just a little company, so we get to do, if you want to do all of it, you can do all of it. <laughs> it's all there for you to do. Um, but I would say my favorite part um, is talking to customers and the product design and strategy. So what, you know, and those, I guess go hand in hand because I am kind of the, the face of our product to the customer. Mm. Um, so In daily, you know, when they say, "Hey, I really wish it would do this, or I wish it would do that," it helps me get this vision of where where our product should go. Um, Well, and you're
0: you're like a user too. You were a user, you know. Oh, yeah. Right. There's no one better than (laughs) your ideal customer to (laughs) To be running. running the business.
1: Right. Well, and I've learned along the way that even though I think I know actually everything it really should do, that that there are other people out there who might know better. (laughs) So I have to, I have to always keep listening. But yeah, no, that has been, that's another one of those, you know, I, I luckily I'm in a place where I had credibility, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm talking to people that I've already done their job. So they, I can talk their language, right? you know, so that, that definitely, um, helps. But I also think, um, surprisingly I've enjoyed the startup part. And even though I'd, I'd worked in all these, and if you would have asked me 10 years ago or 15, whatever, I would have said, I'll only work in large companies. I need lots of people to hand, do all those things for me. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not an entrepreneurial person at all. And um, I never thought I would work in a small company. But surprisingly, I have enjoyed. Uh, I think if we had a big board of directors who was in our ear every day, I might be a little more stressed about that. <laughs> but, um, but I have enjoyed trying to figure it out you know, every single step of the way from, you know, the very beginning, getting a name, getting a lawyer, you know, incorporating a website, every little piece of it. Now, you know, we're into our help desk system and our customer management. So now we have software systems to run our business Mm. and, you know, choosing those and getting those to work and getting them all to integrate and, you know, getting them to be on my phone so I can take them wherever I go. All of that um, has been surprisingly
0: a lot of fun. So that's, that's kind of, it ties into my next question about the biggest lessons that you've learned from starting your own business. Okay. Yep. What are, what are some key lessons? Okay. So, um,
1: yeah, maybe probably to that point a little bit, um, when you start your own company, you, you don't have people to do anything for you. So you do everything. And if you don't know how to do it, you need to figure it out. Um, I would say, you know, ask for advice Mm -hmm. all anywhere and everywhere. Um, And I think the, you know, the founder of um, volunteer spots has been really helpful to us in that, you know, I had, I had this like line to someone who had done the exact same thing in a similar space, Mm -hmm. you know, different product and different offering, but in a similar space. Um, so, and, and listen to your partners. And when I say my partners, those are my co, my other founders. Mm -hmm. So there's three of us, there's two other guys and funny, we didn't really know each other before. So our, our evolution is the per, the original tennis player friend. Mm-hmm. He ended up um, leaving to go pursue um, advanced degrees, and he just got too busy. But um, the other two guys were um, people that he had been in his you know for fun business with, and so the three of us have you know stayed together this whole time, and we all have very very specific skills. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's this interesting, we kind of just share things three ways and, um, we can't survive without each other. That's nice. You know, and it's been, um, it's been, you know, a a good thing that we do have these skills and where we might not have had the skill. We know which person needs to learn them. Right. You know, I'm not going to go learn how to, you know, code something on, in iOS, but John is. So, you know, we, we have those areas. Um, so that's, that's
0: been lucky actually. That's, that's great. And, you know, I mean, having everyone have their own unique talents is like, uh, what's the, the legs of a stool, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And our stool would fall down if
1: one of us, um, yeah. (laughs) If if one of us (laughs) went away for sure. Um, but you know, also, so one of the, I guess in the app business, Mm -hmm. when you're talking about lessons, learned, one of, um, that I had no idea was really how Apple works. And the fact that Apple likes to, for, you know, there's a bazillion apps out there. Right. And, you know, each September for sure. And sometimes in surprise times, Apple introduces um, new operating systems or a whole new set of changes. And you have no idea that they're coming. I mean, it, they do put a little bit out, but you never really know till it's here. And then you hope your app works.
0: Yeah. That's the crazy thing. I mean, even with like social media, if you, you've got your Facebook yeah. business and they decide to change something, well, now you have to like, sh- you know, hurry up and shuffle and try to catch up. It's right. Just, so yes, that's the complexity that I don't think people who dream, oh, I'm going to go start an app business really think through. And those are critical things to think through. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of women out there who have an idea, you know, and think, you know, gosh, let's make this a profitable app based business. What, what would you tell them? So, well, talk to me because (laughs) I've gone through it, but, um, but it can
1: be overwhelming and there are a lot of pieces to it. I mean, there are so many great ideas out there, but trying to turn that idea into a, a, you know, a piece of technology Mm -hmm. and depending on what it is, you know, if it's a game, it's one set, if it's an app like ours that has a big, huge database in the back and a lot of security profiles and firewalls and all of that, there's a whole nother piece to that. Um, you know figuring out the architecture of it and um you know just trying to understand how that's all going to work together and where they're going to get those skills um and then even on top of that is figuring out how they're going to make money from it right assuming that's their goal at the end of the day unless they're doing this for fun you know yeah. for complete fun but yeah it but it's it's obviously can be done and um you know we it's not um as long as you have the skill set you know it's not like we have to buy a huge amount of inventory Right. Our costs are very low, but that's because we've been in a fortunate situation that we can do pretty much everything in-house. Mm. We have outsourced some things, but um, from, a, from a development standpoint and a database and infrastructure mm. and app development, we've been able to do that all within the
0: three of us. Yeah, that's a huge savings.
1: Yes. Even knowing where to go. You know, right. our, these people had the right skill sets. My partners had the right skill sets to figure that stuff out.
0: So-, so- I read that you volunteer and spend time mentoring small business startups. So what are some of the common gaps that you see business owners needing help with most great ideas, but maybe they don't have the resources or, or yes, exactly. I mean, kind of what we were talking about that. Yeah.
1: um, And, and this is, I volunteer for this organization. It's been a wonderful opportunity to get to meet these entrepreneurs and small business startups kind of just going through the same. And they always, they always will give me people that are doing apps. Mm -hmm. so that it's, it's very, very aligned. And, um, you know, I, the, probably the number one struggle they have is how to monetize it, you know, and really, and how are they going to make money? They have there are a lot of ideas, but who is going to buy this and will they pay for it? How much will they pay for it? And how is that all going to work? And, um, I think, I think I've tried to help them say, let's, let's really focus on that. And then let's design around that. Versus just design this amazing app that's going to do everything, but the fact that no one really is going to pay for that is tricky, because where are
0: you going to end up with that? So um, that has been helpful, and it helps them think through that too. So is that almost like taking the monetization and reverse engineering it and identifying all the gaps and like or walk me through that a little bit more? Well,
1: so so say you have an app that um, you know is going to go well, I don't know, it's going to. It's going to choose which kind of flowers should be in your flower bed. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, I don't know how it's going to work, but um, then, you know, who, who was going to want to pay for that? What is the business case for that? I mean, of course, everyone would love that because that'd be nice to have, Mm -hmm. but is there, you know, are there already 10 other people doing that? Mm -hmm. Can they go get a book at a library? Can they just Google it? Why do they need your app? Like, What is going to be special about your app that, that they're going to want to pay for it? And maybe it's that when they click on yellow, it will deliver those seeds right to your house at a discount price. You know, there's some Mm -hmm. hook that is going to make people want to buy that app. And, um, you know, I think that's why businesses do struggle is because they do have these great ideas, but they haven't sorted out how in the end they're going to make money. Right. The differentiator. Yeah. Yes, the differentiator. And you know, with directory spot, one of the things that has been nice and helpful is that people were used to having a paper directory mm-hmm. and paying for it. In some form or another, an organization has paid for that in the past. So it was, you know, the idea was just using technology to deliver what they're used to paying for mm-hmm. in a different better way. We right. think in a better way. Yeah. And eventually they think way. in a better way. Yeah, in a more efficient way. So that's a much easier sell than the fact if they had never had a directory before. And we do have lots of those customers too that have never had a directory and they think, oh, this is a great idea, but that is a new, it's a mindset. They don't have a budget item for that. And so it's a mindset
0: change that, oh yeah, this is a great idea and we do want to pay for it. So so, so when you think about expanding products or taking on new segments, um, mm-hmm. how, what kind of testing do you do? Do you just yes. do your peers? Do you do...
1: <laughs> no, that's a good question. So we we expanded out of schools. So our first big market was schools, and that's uh-huh. where we started. And um, probably three or four years into it, we had, bit, just based on our school customers coming to us and saying, gosh, our church really would use uh-huh. this. Or my homeowners association, or a lot of it was um, charity organizations. You know, these moms that are parents at school are also in their local, you know, Children's Society or whatever, and they thought, "Gosh, we should have this same kind of directory." And so we developed um, an organization version of the same app that looks and acts the same way, but the database and the way it's sorted is completely different behind it. Um, but they play very nicely together. So that has that has enabled us really to hit. I mean, anybody mm-hmm. that would want a secure directory that you know really has more than seventy five people in it um, is a good candidate for us.
0: Ah, That's wonderful. So what would you say is your strategy for success? I think it's always been just
1: for me personally has always been around, um, building relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think at the core, that's probably how I've succeeded. I mean, that's, what's worked for me in the past. I mean, um, yeah. So, but with directory spot, I think it's been to keep very focused on our product strategy of providing, the best directory solution, but not adding functionality that every single person wants. So, and I, I probably learned this a little bit along the way with SAP mm-hmm. and the whole transition from, you know, custom software to package software, you know, on, Interesting. A, on a high level yeah. where, you know, every time we went to a new cust or a new client, they wanted, they wanted SAP to do exactly what their old system used to do. And we had to convince them through a business process or whatever that, no, you should do it the way SAP wants you to do it, and it's going to be better, and we're not going to make changes to it, and you change yeah. your business. So I, I do think, actually, we've applied a lot of that to Directory Spot, and um, you know tried to keep really focused on, we're just providing a directory. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do your website. We're not going to take your payments. We're not going to do your volunteering. Um, you can go other places for that. We're doing a very inexpensive, simple, yeah. easy to set up and launch directory. And it won't cost you very much. You know, it's going to cost you less than your paper directory.
0: Well, I think that you make such a good point there because so many people who are starting off a new business and someone comes to them and says, I want this, I want that. They're eager to please them because they want the sale, but then they get ahead of their skis and overcommit or they don't think it through. And so it's not as strong of a product had you guardrailed it and really made it, you know, the premier directory or whatever the case may be.
1: Right. I mean, it's it's funny how many um, of my customers will come and they will say, se- or new customers, they'll send me their printed directory from, mm-hmm. yes, from last year. That's very detailed and very fancy and sorted in all kinds of ways. <laughs> and they want Directory Spot to produce exactly that. Same font, same format, everything. And um, <laughs> so I had tried to convince them that you're not, no one's even going to look at your printed directory anymore because they're going to be using the phone app. But let's, you know, I really try and get them to you know, let's just use this basic, it's got all the same information. It just looks a little bit different mm-hmm. and it's it's working for 800,000 other customers. So it's, I promise you, it's going to work for you, but that's, you know, that's part of the sales game, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That, that's awesome. It's
0: working for 800,000 other people. <laughs> I don't say that, but try. yeah, no, I know. right.
1: Well, uh, my main point is you're not even going to need that paper directory because you're going to be looking at it
0: on your phone, right. but we still, you know, they still have the option. Uh, so when it comes to being a professional businesswoman like you are, what is one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever received? I would say, and
1: probably, you know, probably a lot of people that you interview say this, but I really do think it's true. And I think, you know, especially for women is seeking mentors and engaging them and using every connection you make along the way. And I, you know, it's interesting at Santa Clara, they actually had a woman in business mentoring program back in 1988. Oh, that's great. And Yeah. And I was paired and at the time I didn't think much of it. Um, it was just there in career services and somehow I think it was in the business school, but, um, I got paired with this alumni woman who worked for bank of America and she met with me several times. I mean, she was pretty high up at the time and she had, she even had me shadow her for a day in San Francisco Mm -hmm. and, um, she helped me with my resume and career choice. And even though I was not going into banking, um, she was so helpful and, you know, as a friend and as, um, you know, just a person who had been there before, uh, and she was—you know—she was volunteering her time to do that. I think it was a new program at the time, but we eventually lost touch. But I think it was—you know—it was a benefit of being a woman at the time, and probably helped me see the value early on of women helping women. And I've always thought, you know, I need to do that too. You know, when I ever get to a point where I'm old enough and I've experienced enough to actually help someone, I need to do that because that was so helpful to me at the time.
0: Just a couple more questions. Uh- okay, Who has been your biggest inspiration? That's
1: actually a difficult one. I think I've had lots of um, influences and inspirations in my professional career. But I think the biggest inspiration comes from my sister, Colleen, who you might remember. I do. Yeah. So, and she was in a car accident in 1989, which left her paralyzed and in a wheelchair. And she deals with daily challenges that we all just take for granted. Yet she is one of the most positive and kind people on the planet. I mean, she's the person that lights up the room. If you walk into that room, she lights it up. Um, and on top of that, she's done truly amazing things in her life so far. She was swam for the on the Olympic team in 96. She started Oregon Adaptive Sports, which is just an amazing organization in Oregon. And she just continually contributes to the people and the world around her. And so I think, um, you know, she has lots of physical setbacks along the way through all these years, um, yet she still looks for new challenges in whatever she does, whether it's in her professional career or in her personal life, she's always looking for something new. And and I really do believe that I've, I've just kind of kept, uh, and she and I are very close, but I have kept um, always this thought in the back of my mind that if I'm having a bad day or things aren't going right for me, I am continually reminded that it's really not that bad, that she's still smiling, so I need to still smile and it's going to be okay. Yeah. So I, I think that's just, um, you know, I'm, you know it's, it's very
0: sad what happened to her, but it's also very inspirational to myself and my whole family. Thanks for sharing that. So when I say to be bolder, what does that mean to you? Okay. So I would say that
1: it would encapsulate
0: being brave mm-hmm. and
1: having courage and confidence to take on a challenge. And, um, you know, whatever that may be. And as a woman, I think we sometimes underestimate our qualifications I think we, we do need to sell ourselves and not be afraid to be unique or be authentic. We don't need to fit a certain mold. Um, and maybe this is, you know, especially in technology, I think you can really be wh- whoever you want and that can work to your advantage. Um, I mean, I, I even remember this story. And if anyone listens to this, who worked with me, then they'd laugh, but um, way back working in Applied Materials and I was trying to run the project manager meetings. And we would do a lot of PowerPoints and Excel charts and whatever. And I would use all these pastel colors. You know, they'd be lavender and aqua and light blue and all the guys would laugh. But um, I would occasionally then wear some of my 90s pastel pantsuits <laughs> and coordinate with my PowerPoints. And it would just set the mood. You know, they'd almost come into the weekly meeting wondering what color scheme I was going to be going with and what I was going to be wearing. And I think it was it was just kind of a funny thing that um, that... People enjoyed, and you know they they actually listened to me, I think more because I was matching the powerpoints or whatever, <laughs> but anyway, just kind of a i think um I do think people or uh women do need to you know be strong and be brave and take chances and walk into a room and you know take a deep breath and see what happens right along the way so what's next for you that's a good question we uh you know, I so as I've been saying, I'd never really thought I was an entrepreneurial kind of person, but I've really enjoyed it. I don't have 10 more ideas, I don't think. Um, and I I still really like this idea mm-hmm. that this company has done. Um, I think we still have a lot of growth to to do here. And we have been approached several times now by venture capital firms or private equity firms who want to buy us. Mm-hmm. And we go through the process and then we kind of get to the point of, or at least especially I get to the point of, I'm not ready yet. I still really like this. I still think we have a lot to do to grow, um, and it's kind of a perfect job, yeah, for me at this time of my life. It's very flexible um, and it's exciting, and I like it.
0: All right, so I can't thank you enough. It's been fun catching up, and I can't believe you know we went to high school together. <laughs> we reconnected over COVID yeah. chat and yep. Zoom call, and um, we just started talking and. Your life is very interesting. Your career is, is really impressive. So thank you for joining us today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the episode today. It was really fun chatting with my guest. If you liked our show, please like it and share it with your friends. If you want to learn what we're up to, please go check out our website at 2 bbouldercom That's the number two, little b, bolder.com.